Praise the Lord, everybody. So good to be here with you on this first Sunday in the month of May. We're excited about the Word of God today and, you know, what's going to take place in your life <clears throat> as a result of this Word. I believe that this uh, conclusion of this series that I've been working on uh, will bring some clarity, some understanding, and some peace into your life. Oftentimes we are struggling with why we're going through some of the things that we're going through. And I'm here to tell you today that there's purpose to all of this. There's a reason behind all of this. This isn't just because, it isn't for nothing, it isn't um, just you're unlucky or not blessed or uh, any of those things that we like to fall back on and, and start uh, professing over our lives or speaking over our lives. But there is purpose to our pain. There's purpose to our struggle. And I, I know that you've heard a lot of preachers uh, say this before, but it bears importance to repeat it to you. Everything that you're enduring in this life, there's purpose behind it. So there's purpose behind this fight that you're in against temptation. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the process of the temptation engagement in the wilderness, in that desert place. And I want to close this series out today, uh, but let's quickly, just for those that may be joining us that uh, don't really know what we've been talking about, this may be the first time you've um, tuned in or um, the first time you're hearing this series of messages, um, but we've been talking about the temptation experience of Christ after his baptism. And let me just quickly for you summarize as people are tuning in where we've been during this study. It's important to know where you've been so you'll know where you're going. And we've been studying the, the greatest battle that, that's ever taken, taken place in the history of mankind. And it's this ongoing fight between uh, the Lord and the devil. Um, the devil doing more fighting than the Lord. But, um, this is a great struggle. And we've been talking about this place, and over the last couple of weeks, I've identified who's involved in this temptation experience, and that's Jesus and the devil. And um, it's important that we understand the facts about uh, this struggle. Uh, it occurred in a very desolate uh, place, a deserted place, but that place was also a dedicated place. There's a timing that's involved that we've talked about uh, concerning this temptation experience of Christ. Um, and you know, we, we identify three specific types of time uh, related to this engagement. There was a parenthetical time, a predictable time, and a prolonged time. And it's important that if you've missed any part of this, you can uh, go back over the uh, website at www.graceandmercyfc.com and you can review the messages. You can tune into our Roku channel 
the Grace and Mercy Fellowship Center television and um, you know, kind of review these previous lessons to get on speed with this lesson today as this is the climax of the whole thing. And I'm excited about it because it's going to show you something about uh, your true liberty in Christ Jesus. I want to close with today the purpose, the why behind this temptation experience of Christ, why it was important that it took place, why uh, it was important that we were given this knowledge and understanding um, about this battle that took place. And then at the close of the sermon today, I want to break bread uh, with you in the celebration of our Holy Communion that we do uh, every first Sunday. Uh, I encouraged everyone last first Sunday to do this in their homes and I did that myself here and with my wife and uh, we shared in communion with each other and I, I strongly encourage um, that uh, every opportunity you get. The Bible says that Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So I encourage everyone that while we are getting uh, prepared for today's lesson that uh, you get the holy sacraments together, your bread and your uh, juice or, or wine, and um, be prepared at the conclusion of this service to share in holy um, communion with us. We will just do it together as a family, as a body of Christ. We may not be uh, together physically, but we are together via technology. Um, so I, I just am looking forward to today. Uh, I hope that enough people have come on. Again, I don't get to see with the way that we broadcast because we don't broadcast just to one platform. We broadcast to multiple platforms. I don't get to see, uh, like many others, who's tuned in or any of the comments that are being made. But we do review on Facebook and, and different platforms the comments that you make. So please feel free. Uh, make those comments. They're, they're encouraging to us. If you have questions, ask the questions. And we will definitely respond to you, the question, the answer to the question that you may pose uh, while you're <clears throat> on Facebook listening. Um, so we do uh, pay those attention and we do go back over each and every one of them. Um, so I just want you to not be discouraged from making comments, but go ahead and make a comment or ask a question or make a statement, whatever it is that, that lays on your heart. Uh, you may not agree with everything I, that I say today, but that's fine. Um, you know, I, I'm not one that gets frustrated when people don't agree with me. Uh, this is what I feel the Lord has given me to give to you. And it, I pray that it is a blessing to you, that it, it encourages you and brings uh, victory and freedom into your life, into your thinking, uh, so that in your uh, manifestation of life, how you live your life, your behavior will begin to reflect who God says we are versus who man says we are. We as the children of God, many times we wonder, what is the purpose of all of this, everything that we're going through, even right now with the current uh, COVID-19 virus and all the effects that it's having on our society, on our culture, on um, the, the way of this nation, on the uh, fellowship between us as human beings, um, as a ministry, um, the kind of the uh, breakdown of uh, familial structure 
with the increase in domestic violence. Um, it, it's, it's sad, but um, I've often said that God created jobs, not really because we needed to live, uh, but because some of us need to be apart for a short part of the, of the day. And many are finding out that maybe what they thought wasn't uh, all it was cracked up to be, and they're finding it difficult to spend 24 hours a day in the same house. I'm so thankful to God that um, my wife and I and, and our son that's still living with us, we've been enjoying this time together, and we are so thankful to God that the Spirit of God uh, rules over this house and His peace is with us and we're enjoying our time together. We don't always agree. We don't always uh, have the same ideas about the things that we want to do or uh, my wife um, has increased the honey-do list, as they say, which doesn't excite me um, any bit, but I'm so thankful to God that I have that. There are many that don't have that. so. I look at things maybe from a different perspective of some. Um, I know that I'm not perfect in my wife's eyes, and I know that she knows that she's not perfect in my eyes. Our only perfection is in Christ Jesus, and it's our love for one another that enables us to overlook the things that maybe we don't like um, and focus on the things that we so greatly admire about one another. So uh, just... A little sidebar for those of you that are tuning in. Uh, you should be taking advantage of this time to be together with your loved ones. Uh, this opportunity that we don't often get in this busy, hurried life. You've been, in a sense, forced to cohabitate. Many of us have been living in the same place, but we have not been cohabitating. And uh, there's still a little bit too much me um, you know, the old saying, uh, I'm reminded of uh, Shaquille O'Neal at the funeral of uh, NBA great Kobe Bryant, where uh, he was telling a story about how Kobe was taking a whole lot of um, shots during a game, and they were trying to encourage him to pass the basketball, and um, uh, Shaquille said to Kobe on the side, um, says to him, uh, you know, there's no I in team. And Kobe looked at Shaq and responded, yeah, but there's an M and an E. Um, and I won't repeat the rest of that statement, but essentially uh, there's a me in there. And um, I think sometimes there's a little bit too much me in some of our relationships, which is why some of our relationships are struggling um, and, and not as beautiful as they can be. Um, a little less me, a whole lot more Christ, and you'll enjoy a relationship that'll blow your mind. But let's get back to the word. Um, you know, again, why are we going through this? You know, we, we look at others and we see others get over their, you know, their issues in life. They seem to live in victory. Uh, but then, you know, we watch believers seemingly uh, struggling with something and they go and get prayed for and uh, deliverance comes and they enjoy a period of success over whatever it is the deliverance was from, whether it's uh, some type of addiction or some type of behavior or some type of attitude or 
some emotional state of being. They, for a period of time, have this great amount of success, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it seems like they slide right back into the issue that they were facing and that they were already freed from. Uh, they seem to be struggling with those very same things all over again. And the, uh, in a sense, the Reformed needing the Reformation process to begin all over again in them. They need that, that level of freedom again applied to their life, even though they've been enjoying the freedom that has already been won for them. But there's purpose in what took place. Um, there's purpose in what's taking place in your life. Even the repeated struggles, there is purpose in that. There are uh, two pivotal purposes at work. Uh, and I want to talk about those today and we'll end this series on, on these two notes. First, there is a diabolical purpose, uh, which comes from our enemy, the devil. And then there is a divine purpose, which comes from our Savior, Jesus Christ. A diabolical purpose, an evil purpose uh, that is perpetrated against us from our enemy. And then there is a divine purpose that is uh, perpetrated uh, for us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So let's talk about this uh, diabolical purpose. Satan has one core purpose in every temptation that you will face in life, and um, it is to be in opposition to God. Everything that the enemy wants to do is in opposition, never in alignment with the Word of God. Every struggle that you face in your life, in your body, uh, in your mind, in your emotions, in your spirit, is in opposition to what the Word of God says about you. If you think back for a moment over your life and even your emotional state of being, the way you think, the way you talk, uh, the way you carry yourself, it all goes back to a contrast between what God says about you and what the world or, or, or your enemies say about you. We spend a lot of time trying to validate ourselves based upon what others say rather than living in the qualification that we have been made free in Christ Jesus and thereby uh, validated by him. Uh, but there's this common uh, core uh, purpose of the enemy to stand in objection to everything that God says. And as we examine the meaning of the name Satan, which in both the Hebrew and Greek has the same meaning, uh, described uh, best as adversary, uh, because this uh, encompasses literally who and what we are facing as the external force that is at war against the Spirit of God that is in us. And uh, that force or that power is doing everything it can to align itself with uh, some support groups. And those support groups in you is your flesh. Uh, your flesh is uh, enmity against God. And the enemy does the best that he can to use your flesh against you to war against the spirit of God that is dwelling richly on the inside of you. And at core, your flesh is standing in objection to everything that God says. Uh, it does not accept the things of God, uh, and that's why it's going to be removed. This opposing kind of purpose is evident in the very first appearance of Satan 
uh, to the creation of mankind as he met Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God had specified instructions. He had given some directions regarding the behavior of Adam and Eve while they were in the Garden of Eden, a perfect place, a place of advantage. They had they were in a place that was provided for them, that was created specifically for them, for them to flourish, for them to prosper, for them to be at great peace, for them to be able to enjoy all of the benefits of being in right relationship with God. So they were in the best circumstance possible. And in their best circumstance, the enemy comes and meets them. And this is this first introduction. Um, and as he comes along, he uh, opposes the very thing, the very instructions that God is giving. And he tempts Eve and Adam to uh, do something that is contrary to what God's will was for their life. The same purpose is most evident in the temptation event in which Christ experienced uh, in his battle with the devil because it tempted Christ to go contrary to the will of God. Every single temptation that the enemy brought, if you analyze the core, the foundation of them, you will find that every temptation was a temptation to cause Christ to do something opposite of the word of God. And it's also the same crisis that we face daily when we are often encouraged internally or externally to go against the will of God for our lives, whether it's in our behavior or our response to life, our response to people, our response to crisis, our emotional state of being, our physical state of being, our mental state of being, the way you think, the way you see, the way you perceive, the way you understand. Everything is being attacked. We, we seem to get focused on the temptation um, as some only external thing, but temptation from the enemy comes and it attacks not just your external being, but your entire being. It's trying to get something in you to oppose what God declares about you or what God has established as what's best for your life. And we see this reflected in our behavior. Uh, the plan and purpose of the devil is to distort the reflection of God in his creation. You have to understand and never forget that God's intention for man was to create something that was after his image and likeness or to reflect himself. Uh, we have to understand that the reflection of God is not just how we look externally, but how we look internally. And for many of us, we look uh, one way externally, but we don't look that same way. If you, if you think about uh, some of the, the movies that have kind of uh, brought humor in relation to this kind of thinking that, um, you know, they look one way, uh, or as the old saying was, they look this way after one beer, and they look this way after seven beers. Uh, there's a difference in how they look. And uh, then there's also the adage of, uh, you know, you get all made up and you look good. But the question is, is when you roll over in the morning, uh, are you still going to look that good? Uh, you know, when, when you're not at your best, when you, when you have not um, had the opportunity to dress yourself up, are you still looking the same? Uh, this is also the same, in the same sense, uh, the life of the believer. Uh, the desire of God was that in the a reflection of his image in the creation of man that it wasn't just what we looked like on the outside but more so what we look like on the inside 
how was our makeup? Does our makeup reflect who he is or does it reflect what the world would have us to reflect? Are we um, responding uh, because we reflect Christ like Christ or are we responding to life uh, like our enemy because uh, the secret be told that's who our real master is. Uh, now we have to understand that after God created us to look like him uh, this is represented both in what he created externally or uh, the body of his creation and what was created internally when he breathed into man the breath of life uh, as he leaned over into Adam and breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life or his essence, his spirit, the spirit of God, which is life. God said, I am life. Uh, and that life came into man and man at that moment became a living being. There's also both lost in the sin condition and uh, in the redemptive work of Christ at Calvary. There is this uh, contrary contrast or this um, opposing uh, work of the enemy against the redemptive work of Christ, uh, uh, fighting against our you know, restoration into the right position in God. The gift of the Holy Ghost is really a revitalization of the indwelling breath of God, working internally to display the reflection of God within us, and the change of our bodies is then going to be made complete at the rapture of the church when this corruptible shall put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on immortality. You see, the opposition of the devil attacks both of these states of existence. The enemy's not just concerned about how you look externally, but he's working on how you look internally because what's going on inside of you will ultimately come outside of you. Uh, the opposition of the, of the enemy attacks both of these uh, states or levels of, ex of existence. He's affecting them using every external force that he can and uh, any internal force that he's allowed access to. Uh, this is why the influences of our environment, which uh, will include people and things, as well as the influences of our mind, which are propagated by our emotions and our belief systems, is really the wilderness event that we all face. We are in a desolate place in our existence, trying to fight for life, and the enemy's doing everything he can to push you to live a life that is in rejection to what the Word of God has declared about that life that came from Jesus Christ himself, who is life. We are alive because he brought life to us. And God wants us to be holy. Why? Because we are a reflection of him and God is holy. Thus, we ought to be holy. But the devil wants us to be unholy. God wants us to obey him, but the devil wants us to disobey God. God wants us to uh, be spiritually strong and the devil wants us to be spiritually weak. God wants his work to thrive in and through us because we are the God in the earth that he functions through. Uh, don't take what I'm saying out of context. What I'm trying to get you to understand is, is that God is not coming down in the form of himself. Uh, he's functioning in the earth through you. So you become the expression of God in the earth in any and every single crisis, situation, circumstance that we all face. And the devil 
wants the work of God to be ruined, both the work of God in you and the work of God through you. He does not want you to enjoy any level of success uh, through what God is doing in your life. He wants you to essentially fall flat on your face um, and, and live in objection or rejection to what God says. And the reason that we can be freed um, or, or enslaved uh, is really connected to the process of temptation uh, with the purpose of rejecting the Word of God or living for the Word of God um, or accepting lies about us or living in the truth about us. So this is the, the purpose of the enemy is to drive you to the things that are opposite of what God is saying. The solicitations of the, de of the devil to, to Jesus were to especially try to oppose the work of the gospel by getting Christ to disobey God and uh, in, in, so, in so doing, he would ruin the very plan of God uh, of salvation for mankind. So this wasn't just about uh, getting Jesus to fail, but in the failure of Jesus, all mankind would have failed. Uh, this is the ultimate goal of, of the devil is to cause God to not be able to be successful in what God has set out to do. So Satan wanted to bring him with you know, Jesus to sin against God. And uh, in so doing, it would render him forever incapable of being the perfect sacrifice to carry the sins of the world. Remember, Jesus knew no sin, but he took on himself the sin of mankind on a hill called Golgotha. Uh, he, he didn't just wear it as a coat, but the word of God declares that he became sin and we became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus in that very moment. Uh, let me let you in on, on a sidebar here real quick, uh, understanding the fullness of what took place on the hill of Calvary uh, was not that uh, Jesus just, um, you know, covers our sin or in a sense, uh, our sin has remained with us. I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow your mind right here. Uh, Jesus did not cover your sin. Jesus became your sin. So if he became your sin, your sin is no longer with you. Uh, the Bible tells us that we became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we are the righteousness uh, of God. You're not a sinner, but you're the righteousness of God. And you've got to understand living and, under, and, and walking and thinking and believing in this kind of thinking about yourself. You're not a person struggling with sin. You're a person exemplifying the righteous or the right standing with God. Sin is the wrong standing. Uh, but righteousness is the right standing with God. You are in rights. You ought to just, uh, just, just look at your neighbor in your house. Tell your wife or your husband or your children, I'm in right standing with God because my sin became Jesus and what Jesus was, righteous and obedient, has now become me. I can't be a sinner because I believe in the finished work of Christ. Oh, you ought to just preach to your neighbor right now and just tell your neighbor, I am what God has called me to be. I am the salvation of the Lord. I am the, the righteousness of God. I, these, these are the things that, uh, that I'm not just wearing. It's not something I can put on or, you know, people say, let me hang my salvation up for a second. 
Uh, you can't even hang your salvation up because you have become those things. Those, that, that is what you are. Uh, you have to understand that the word of God teaches us that there was none able to cleanse us except who? The Lamb of God, which taketh away, taketh away the sins of the world. That means the sins of the world aren't here anymore. The sins of the world have gone with Jesus. Oh, how awesome a thought that is. So Satan is, you know, he's not really interested in the salvation of souls. Satan is not interested in the exaltation of Christ Jesus. Satan doesn't want God's work to succeed. So his temptations reflect the evil, uh, which is his purpose, the, the desire of the devil to get you from understanding who you are, knowing your identity in Christ Jesus. So when we are tempted to do evil, we need to remember that God's, that God's uh, word and work are involved uh, in our life, and it's a drive of the enemy to pull us from those very things. So yielding then to temptation puts us on the side of the enemy and causes us to live in opposition to what the word of God declares about who we are. So I'm just, I'm just excited because when I look at God, I can find that even in our failure, and oh, you're going to fail. You're gonna, there are going to be moments where you're not going to reflect the very will of God. So you might as well not uh, you know, frustrate yourself when those moments come. There are going to be those moments when you're going to slip back doing something that you had no business doing and, and realizing, oh, I was outside the will of God. Those, those times are going to come. Uh, but the, the benefit or the blessing is, is that even in our failure, even in our weakness, or even in our frustration, we still have an advocate with the Father who is Christ Jesus the Almighty. And Jesus uh, declares for us uh, the uh, righteousness of God that's been restored to us through the redeeming work on the cross. And this is the idea that has been corrupted in the minds of men by the enemy. And even uh, some of us believers uh, buy into this. As soon as someone who has professed to be a believer, one who has declared their salvation, uh, does something in disobedience to the will of God, the rest of us, you know, brothers and sisters, are ready to put them in hell. We are so quick to judge somebody and put them in hell because they did something that was outside the will of God or in direct violation uh, to what God's word declares or in direct opposition to what God's word declares. So we're quick to just throw them in hell and to judge them uh, unsaved and uh, you know what have you. Uh, even the devil himself begins to proclaim uh, our very failure. But what many of us miss is what Jesus immediately begins to proclaim uh, on our behalf as, as our sin may be exemplified by our enemies and even those that we call brother and sister. Jesus begins to advocate uh, an objection to what is being said about us and he reminds the righteous judge uh, that our sin, this failure, our weakness, our misdeed, our misstep, our misthought is removed from us because we are or we have been placed in the righteousness or in the right standing of God. So we've been, uh, our sin, because of the righteousness of Christ, has been removed from us 
uh, and also from the face of God for all of eternity. And therefore we are free from the penalty of our failure because our faith is placed in what Jesus did in the finished work of Christ. The enemy doesn't want you to understand that. The enemy wants you to think that because you, you had a misstep or a misdeed or because you had a bad moment or you just, you know, you know, boo-boo and them got on your last nerve and, and you let your last nerve get the better of you instead of living in the peace of God and practicing that peace in every circumstance and situation. You let, uh, you know, them know how you were feeling, uh, you know, and then the conviction comes and condemnation sets in and the enemy begins to, 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 to show you that, uh, you know, you're a failure. As a matter of fact, the enemy oftentimes will try to talk you into doing something. And then when you do it, the enemy will say, why'd you do that? You know, look at you. You, you, you said you were a believer of Christ and look at you. And you're like, wait a minute, you, you don't want to talk me into doing this. You know, and now you're not even on my side. Let me tell you, uh, people of God, the devil's not on the side of the world. The devil wants to destroy the world and they that are in it. Uh, the devil's not trying to build a kingdom in a sense, um, you know, to because he's got the world's back. He's trying to live in opposition to God, and that that's all it is. And, and he his ultimate goal is destroy is to destroy mankind. Uh, so that that's really what's behind uh, kind of the evil purpose of the temptations that the enemy brings. But I'm so glad that it doesn't just rest with evil purpose. Because understanding that God is still God and, and everything sits under him, he is still in control, regardless of what's going on, you have to understand that where the enemy may have an evil or diabolical purpose, God has a divine purpose. And there are at least four parts to the divine purpose uh, that I want to talk about in this great temptation experience of Christ. And these uh, four parts are uh, divided into, uh, you can use these subtopics, if you will, to uh, you know, write down his notes. They're designed to exalt Christ, to equip Christ, to educate mankind, and to expose the devil. Uh, these four parts, they're, they're, they're designed to exalt Christ, to, to equip Christ, to educate mankind, and to expose the devil. So let's take a, a minute to talk about these things, if you will. In the exaltation of Christ, uh, this is the prime design of God Almighty. This is God's greatest desire in all uh, of creation is to exalt his son. Uh, the Bible says in Philippians 2 and 9, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. So in this uh, text, Paul is releasing revelation about the prime directive of God. Uh, in the millennium, when Christ is exalted as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, God is trying to get us to the place of understanding that his son is the most important thing to him. And um, in Revelations 19 and 16, it says that uh, there's coming a day when we will see on his vesture and on the thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And uh, it identifies in the book of Revelations 21 and 2, a new Jerusalem where John says, and I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, 
coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And this is where Christ is going to be exalted as the very glory of God and the light thereof. On into the 23rd verse of the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation, it says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Oh, there's coming a day when we're going to be in the new Jerusalem, the holy city of God, and there's going to be no need for the sun, and there's going to be no need for the moon. The sun was given to govern the day by light, and the moon was given to govern the night by light, but we've got to understand that there's coming a time when we are going to be in that holy city and the, the sun and the moon will not be needed because the very light of God, the glory of God, which casts away darkness is going to shine bright and there'll be no evening, there'll be no darkness in the kingdom that is to come. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody ought to just give God some praise right there. We have to understand that with the exaltation of Christ, uh, being such a, an, an important purpose of God, we, we have to conclude that the very temptation experience which Christ was led to by the Holy Spirit was also to exalt Christ. If the, if the prime directive of God is to exalt Christ, then everything that Christ would endure in life has a purpose to, behind it, and that is to exalt Christ. Now watch. Why do we endure then the temptations of this life uh, beyond just physical temptations, but every temptation? Well, I've got an answer for you. Just as God wants to exalt Christ, he also wants to exalt Christ where? In you. Tell your neighbor, he's exalting Christ in me. Uh, we, we're excited about this because as a result of Christ being exalted in you, you become exalted. Oh, hallelujah. So what's the purpose of this madness in your life? It is for the full exaltation of Christ in you. It is to show you Christ is above all and has elevated you with him above everything that you're going through. So every temptation, every tribulation, every trial has a divine purpose, and that's to show you the power of Christ in you and the fact that it is all under you is under your feet everything that you're going through is beneath you it's not worthy of you because you are being exalted with christ so how did the uh, temptation exalt christ uh, well it exalted him in his purity and in his power you see christ was pure in character and powerful in conquering and the Bible tells us that we have become more than a conqueror, where? Through Christ Jesus. So you are being made righteous and you are being made pure in Christ. So when we fail or we give in, condemnation sets in and we reject the knowledge of salvation for the knowledge that we are unrighteous mammon who deserve not the love of God, but the judgment of God. Uh, saints, I'm here to tell you this could not be any further from the truth. Uh, we move and have our being in Christ Jesus. Uh, and if this is true, then we by nature are made unto righteousness and free from condemnation. Oh, 
Hallelujah. We can endure and overcome because Jesus endured and overcame. We can be set free from the power of sin and death through the power of life that is working in us through the indwelling presence of the Holy Ghost which is Christ in us now. What is it that he ascended? That he did not descend into the lower parts and take back the keys of life and death, that all who were in prison might be free. I was once in prison to death, but God sent his son, and now I am bound to life. I am bound to freedom, and not just me, but every blood-bought believer is now free from sin and death. Ah, oh, uh, there, you know, let, let, let's, let's look at this purity of Christ. Uh, this temptation event uh, exalts Christ because it shows uh, the great level of purity of his character. There are few things uh, uh, that exalt a person as much as purity and character. Uh, now, if you look at the world, you'll find that the world doesn't really honor anyone because of their excellence in character. But God does, and no exaltation is greater than that received from God. The great purity of Christ's character is seen in the fact that he did not in any way succumb to the solicitation of the devil to do evil, but he fully and completely refused evil. He stood in objection to evil. Not one uh, taint of evil was found in Christ in this temptation scene, and he was not tainted in the slightest by this temptation experience. Everyone that knows me knows that I love the game of golf. and uh, It's a sport that is really based upon integrity and character. Uh, it's called the gentleman's game. What's a gentleman? A gentleman is a man of great character. It's a man of great integrity. Uh, the golfer in the sport uh, is not just the player, but the golfer is also the referee. The golfer is also the judge. And in most sports, it's another person uh, that is called the judge or the referee that will call a foul or a penalty. But in the game of golf, uh, the golfer bears the responsibility to call the penalty on themselves uh, if a penalty should occur. Watching many of the golf events throughout my life, uh, I've witnessed many instances where a golfer would call a penalty on themselves uh, that cost them the very championship. Uh, however, the sportscasters would praise them for the, uh, uh, the character uh, that they displayed and proclaim the difference between this and other sports. The idea in many sports is trying to get away with the violation of the rules. Uh, it's said that an offensive lineman in football holds on every play. While this is against the rules, it's done until that lineman gets caught. And in this temptation event in the life of Christ and in each of our lives, we find that we have the ability to overcome unless we give in. We decide what the outcome is going to be it's not the temptation that determines the finish. It's how you respond to that temptation. You can walk or respond in the temptation by the victory that you've been given in Christ Jesus. And if you do, the outcome has already been secured for you. Oh, this is the great challenge. Job puts it best. Though he slay me, 
yet will I trust him. Uh, we can give in to the impurity of a corrupted nature born after the corruptible seed of Adam, or we can stand upon the incorruptible seed which is born after Christ Jesus. Uh, you ought to tell your neighbor or ask your neighbor this question. What seed are you standing on? What seed are you flowing in? What seed are you determining the outcome of your life? Is it the corruptible seed of the carnal nature of man or is it the incorruptible seed that is born in you through Christ Jesus? Oh, hallelujah. Somebody ought to give God some glory. You see, the refusal of Christ to yield in any way to the temptation from Satan greatly exalts the character of Christ and it shows up that Christ can be our substitute and die in our place on the cross of Calvary. Had Christ sinned, he would have to die for his own sin and could not be our substitute because only a sinless person could be our substitute. And only Christ demonstrates sinlessness in the temptation scene. Due to this triumph in the wilderness match, you can be by right triumphant in every match that you face as a child of God. We are in a process where the Creator is establishing us. The very character and integrity of God is being revealed in you. Oh, glory, hallelujah. You are who Christ has deemed you to be righteous before the eyes of the throne of God. Hallelujah. Oh, I... I I'm, I'm, I'm really trying not to get too excited here. I'm so thankful my brother Brent's not here because if he'd have hit that organ right now, I might have lost it in that moment. When I start thinking about the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me. Oh, I'm not thinking about the houses, the cars, the clothes, the money. I'm thinking about the grace of God that has been established in my life through the freeing me of sin and the liberating life through grace to the power of righteousness or right standing with God. God doesn't see me for my sin, but he sees me as righteous in his face. Oh, how great and wonderful that is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, help me here. Uh, secondly, there's the power of Christ. You know, you see, Christ uh, was uh, the victor over evil. Christ was never a victim. He was a victor. Saints of God, you are not victims. You are victors. No one has completely defeated evil temptations like Christ. Christ was absolutely invincible in combating evil. Satan leveled his best shots at Christ, but Christ overcame every last one of them. Satan may have some power. Don't fool yourself into thinking that the devil has no power. You ought to live according to the truth. The devil has some power, but the truth is that even though he may have some power, the Lord that stands in you through Jesus Christ has all power. Not one single battle that Jesus fought was lost. Even when he laid down his life, it wasn't a lost battle. It was triumphant victory. He won that fight. Christ completely conquered evil. Even though temptation severely afflicted Christ, 
He never yielded one iota to it. Temptation met a solid wall of resistance of resistance in Jesus. And such a victory over temptation shows the great power of Christ over evil. He has power over evil. He has power over the influencer of evil. And if I am dead, yet Christ liveth in me, I have power over evil. I have power over the influencer of evil. That means that the influence has some say, but I have the final say. Oh, praise be unto God. The best part of this knowledge is that because Jesus did it, we are empowered to do it as well. The information flowing from the law in my members is that I can't overcome, so I give in to whatever the temptation is, and that is why it wars against the law in my mind. But if Jesus conquered it, then we not only can conquer it, but we have done so already in him. It's already done because it's not our fight that we're fighting in that moment. It's a fight that Jesus fought for us a long time ago. The issue then becomes, what do you believe? Do you believe in the victory that God has given you in Christ or in the defeat that the enemy is trying to hand you? We say we believe one thing, but our behavior reflects another belief. This comes down to the law of reflection and reproduction. Uh, what is demonstrated in our behavior is a reflection of what is in our heart. This is why we are charged by God to guard our hearts and to be careful of the influence that is in our lives. Uh, this great power is emphasized by the fact that for much of the temptation, Christ was in the wilderness where he would have great disadvantage in the flesh. Christ's circumstances said that Christ at his weakest defeated Satan at his strongest. Oh, how great is the power of Christ that even though he was at great disadvantage in the circumstances, he could give Satan a resounding defeat. Uh, and this is really important for us because if you accept this as your reality, then you will understand that it is at your weakest that God makes you strong. The idea is that because we are weak, we can't win or will not win. But the opposite is true of God. It is in these times that we can find our true strength. It is in these moments of despair that if we ever learn to truly focus on Him, we will find a disparity in our physical condition. The spirit of depression can only take full control if you let it. Uh, we say we can't take it anymore and long to give up, 
but the word of God says we can make it. And not only make it, but we can triumph while we're standing in it. We need to reset our stinking thinking to reflect the mind of God. The joy of the Lord is my strength, not my success or my accomplishment in this life. If success doesn't move me, then the failure won't move me either. It is the union of the Holy Ghost that moves me. Why can I have this attitude? I can have this attitude because my life is wrapped up in Christ. It's not wrapped up in what I've done. It's wrapped up in what he has done. It's not wrapped up in what I'm doing. It's wrapped up in what he is doing. You've got to understand whether I'm successful or whether I'm a complete failure in life according to the level of man. I've been made victorious in Christ. I've already won every battle. I've already been made successful. I've already been made wealthy. I've already been made wise. I've already been given all knowledge. I've already been released into all wisdom because the life I live, I live by the power, by the victory of Jesus Christ. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. So why can I have this attitude? Do I know something that you don't? Do I have something that you don't? No. We know the same thing. We have the same thing. Scripture tells us in Hebrews 2 and 18, for in that he himself have suffered being tempted, he is able to secure them or help them that are tempted. You see, the temptation helped to equip Christ to help us. Jesus had to understand our temptations. There was a necessity that he take the body of man so that he could be tempted in that body just like you and I are tempted in our body. It is this proverbial walk a mile in our shoes ideology. A famous theologian put it like this when he said uh, that uh, Jesus could have been tempted. Uh, uh, has uh, been a baffling mystery to many devout minds. The fact that Jesus could even be tempted. But it has to be recognized that temptation is a cardinal element in the human existence. You've got to understand temptation is just part of the walk of your humanity. And so that our Lord, by his very incarnation in the flesh, subjected himself to the very experience of our carnality. Yet, he was apart from sin. It is only by his having shared our experiences that he is able to help us in them. He understands. The Bible declares in all points he was tempted like we are yet without sin. Uh, that yet without sin means uh, that in all points he was tempted like us, but he had victory over every last temptation. Oh, hallelujah. Uh, and if I live by the, according to the power of Christ working in me, then I have victory already. Even before the temptation comes, I have victory. 
The emphasis that's being shown in this text uh, is that it was the suffering of the temptations uh, that helped Christ to help others. Uh, suffering pain helps us to help others uh, who suffer like we suffer. We have many times asked the question, why must I suffer? Uh, it becomes very frustrating when you are trying to live according to the plan of God or as good as you can, but it seems you suffer. And those that are living uh, in opposition to the word of God, they seem like they're prospering. But Paul declares this in 2 Corinthians 1 and 4, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. You see, the suffering from the temptation experienced by Jesus was the suffering his holy character would experience from being confronted with unholiness. For a holy person to be tempted by sin is a great level of suffering because sin is utterly abhorrent to one that is holy as Christ. Impurity is utterly abhorrent to purity. James says in 1, 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So then there is a purpose to our suffering, just like there was a purpose to the suffering of Christ in this desert place. The principle is found in scripture which says in Proverbs 29 and 27, an unjust man is an abomination to the just, and he that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. No one would suffer so keenly, so painfully, and so greatly from confronting evil as Jesus would because Jesus was holy. The greater the holiness, the greater the pain from the presence of sin. Uh, obviously, this current time period, uh, there's much uh, holiness in our, uh, there's much unholiness in our society and for many, not even in our churches uh, do I find a whole lot of holiness. Uh, I find that in many cases, uh, the most vulgar of evil is tolerated and even promoted by society and accepted even in some of our churches. Uh, some of our pulpits won't declare what is right and true uh, according to God's word. Even our our so-called fundamental Bible-believing churches evidence little pain and little repugnancy in and about the presence of sin. We've almost accepted sin as a way of life, as just part of our makeup. Ah, but it ain't part of my makeup. Sin has been removed from me. The element of sin has been taken from me and it's been replaced by the element of righteousness. Ah, but Christ... Uh, he's another story because of who he was sinless and undefiled the very temptations that are hurled 
let him uh, cause suffering beyond compare, but this helped to equip him uh, to better help others in their temptation uh, and during their trials. Uh, this is true for you and I as well, but what the enemy has hidden from our minds uh, is that this is why it is so important for us uh, to have the mind in us which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, your suffering is equipping you for your destiny. What you're going through, there's purpose behind it. It's equipping you for your destiny. Your suffering is offering you a great experience. You're being equipped to help your brothers and sisters to help them endure the tests and tribulations and temptations of their lives. You are becoming an effectual worker for and in the kingdom of God. The manifestation of God's glory is being bestowed upon you. The glorious truth is you will endure so others can endure. So the power of the enemy is then defeated and the glory of God is revealed in you. The issue then becomes in the learning of the purpose out of the temptation. What are you learning in this experience? Are you accepting what Christ has already done for you? Or are you still struggling with your pain? Well, God wants to educate mankind. The temptation of Christ has provided us the greatest manuscript available on how to defeat every temptation, and in every turn, defeat the devil. The means used by Christ to repel Satan's evil solicitations educate us on how you can defeat evil. Whether Christ could have sinned or not, whether he could have given in to sin, does not change the way to defeat temptation. The primary means of defeating temptation will always be the same. This is how wonderful it is to be in Christ Jesus. The plan of your victory is easy, it's simple, and it's already been worked out. The evidence teaches us that Christ suffered, he who could not sin, to teach us the proper way to defeat it since every other teacher who could sin may or may not use the proper strategy to defeat temptation. I'm going to be talking more about this in Bible studies to come. Uh, but suffice it to say, Christ showed us that the primary means of defeating the devil and all evil is the word of God. You're trying to figure out how to win? It's the word of God. If you're proclaiming the word of God, you can't curse. If you're proclaiming the word of God, you can't fear. If you're proclaiming the word of God, you can't be despondent. The power of victory, the strategy of your success is the word of God. If you look at this text, you'll find that Christ used three texts of scripture from the book of Deuteronomy to stop the devil in his place. He froze the devil cold. How greatly this emphasizes the power of the word of God to overcome evil. No wonder Satan tries and with great success in many cases to de-emphasize the word of God in our churches 
and in our lives. This is why the word of God is hidden in your heart. That in your times of distress, you can draw from it like you draw from a well filled with everlasting water. The word of God will always defeat the devil. Uh, this is why the word of God should be your language. They talk about having a successful marriage or relationship requires you to understand the love language. You've got to understand love language so that you can communicate better with your loved ones. Oh, saints of God, I, I, you've got to come to the place where when you begin to understand the word of God, that the word of God becomes your very language. It becomes the very way you interact with life. I don't talk to life uh, out of my own language. I speak the word of God to life because I understand that life itself will recognize the creator's word and once life begins to recognize that which created it it will respond as a servant to what is being said if you want to change your life you ought to start talking the language of God oh but I don't know the language of God saints of God God made it clear his word as given to us in the holy scripture is the language of God. It, it is every piece of victory. In it you can speak to life and cause life to form itself after the very thing that you are saying because there is power in the word of God. The devil doesn't want you to speak in power. He wants you to speak in defeat. The language of man is a defeatist language. It's a weak language. It's a language that has no authority but the language of God, the word of God that formed the heavens and the earth, the word of God that caused the sun to hang in the sky, the word of God that brought all the water together in one piece, in one place, the word of God that made all that is seen and unseen, known and unknown, that is the power of God. It's the language that brings all things under subjection. That is why the word of God should be your language. You should speak it just like English. It shouldn't be your second language. It should be your primary language. It should be the language that comes natural for you. It comes without much thought. You think it and it comes out. Imagine the power to speak life-changing words which will repel evil and create life. Imagine some of us who speak faster than we can think because the language of God is just natural for us. Even when we speak before we think, what we speak is still in alignment with the word of God. Imagine how powerful you are when you begin to speak the language of God, because when God spoke, what he declared took place. When God spoke, all things came into being. How great and mighty is the language of God. How great and mighty it can be for you in this life if you begin to speak, think, 
feel, dream the word of God as your language. Lastly, the purpose behind all of this is to expose the devil. This temptation scene of Christ and Satan really exposes the methods of Satan. It's important that we understand what's going on. It is a great exposure of how the devil works. And this is the wonderful thing. The devil is stuck in his strategy. You know, sometimes when you learn the strategy or the, the plays of another team, and you devise a way to defeat it, that other team changes its strategy or its plays. The devil is stuck. He can't change his ways if he wanted. That's what's so wonderful about this revelation. God shows us exactly how the devil works. And we now know his strategy. To know how Satan operates is a great advantage in our defeating him because it's through this record of Christ's temptation by Satan that God has given us a great help in showing us how the wicked imp works. So the temptation of Christ needs to be studied well so that we will know the ways in which the devil tempts us to evil and gain great advantage in defeating him. The Apostle Paul says we are not ignorant of his, that's Satan's devices, 2 Corinthians 2 and 11. Paul was not ignorant of Satan's temptation devices, but many of us are because we do not study the scriptures well. What is the purpose of your suffering? It is to defeat the devil. You are victorious in Christ, even to the pulling down of strongholds. Do not allow yourself to be consumed by your grief, but understand what is real and what is true in your life. You are being prepared for not only a great work, but for a victory dance. As a matter of fact, uh, you don't even have to wait until the battle is over. You can shout now uh, because we know we have already won. I'm not trying to figure out how to win. I'm trying to walk in the victory that has already been given unto us. Uh, I don't have to do the work. You know, God did not tell us to go do something. He told us to become something. He said, be strong. Uh, how can I be strong? You can only be strong if strength is already there for you. Uh, you don't have to go out and find a way to become strong. I don't have to go into the gym and lift weights so that I can become strong by doing something. I become strong because what needed to be done was already done. I become victorious because what was needed to be victorious was already done for me. Don't you understand people of God? You are who God has made you to be because he has invested in your very life the gift of the life of Christ. You have all power. If Jesus has been given all power and Jesus dwell in you, 
you have all power. If Jesus has all knowledge, then all knowledge has been invested in you. If Jesus has all wisdom, then all wisdom has been invested in you. If Jesus uh, has everything that we need and he's in you, you already have everything you need. You're not searching because you already possess it. You don't have to elevate yourself. You don't have to make yourself righteous because Christ has already made you righteous. The obedience of my life in alignment with the word of God is just a reflection to my rebirth. It is not what qualifies me for right standing. My obedience to the word of God does not qualify me. It does not justify me. What it does is, it, is that it reflects what has already been done for me. You see, it's not my walk in obedience that makes me righteous. What made me righteous was Christ's walk in obedience. And this is how I can be dressed and become as part of my makeup the righteousness of God or the right standing in God. This is why God can look at me and even though I fail at times in my flesh because Jesus removed these things from me, God only sees me in right standing as a reflection from my innermost to my outermost as himself. He only sees my right standing. It's not by what I've done. It's by my faith in what Jesus has done. So in those moments, I speak the word of God as my language. I declare the truth of God in every circumstance, in every situation. The enemy is always going to come to try to frustrate you to try to cause you to fear. But God declares that we are more than conquerors, that we can have peace because he has overcome the world. We are overcomers. There's purpose to my pain because it shows me who I am. It shows me the power that I have it speaks to my victory that's already won. It shows me the weakness of the enemy and the strength of the believer. It educates me. It enhances me. It exalts me. It lifts Christ up in me. And it causes every one of my enemies to be beneath me. I am so grateful to God for that which he has done for me. I hope that this word has been a blessing to you. I hope that you've 
glean something from what has been declared today. As we close this service or this sermon, I just want to take a moment to share with you from the scripture as we share in the Lord's Supper. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The word of the Lord reads in the book of 1 Corinthians, the 11th through the 20th verse. I'm sorry, the 11th chapter, the, starting at the 20th verse. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Hallelujah. Those of you that are tuning in with me, if you would take the bread, and as you take the bread, break it. Share it amongst your family. Share it to those that are sharing communion with you. Because the word declares that after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, you do it in remembrance of me. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless this, thy sacrament that, that represents your body. Understanding that your body, there is fulfillment of word, a prophetic history. It is revealed in you. You were battered and bruised. You were torn, pierced, afflicted for me that today I might be in right standing with you. Father, I take this that represents your body in faith that as I remember what you've done, it testifies of my belief in that very thing. And I say thank you in the name of Jesus. Let us eat together. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. This juice represents the blood of our, of our Lord and Savior that was shed for us at Calvary. The Bible declares that the centurion pierced his side and blood and water flowed. I am so thankful for the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus that washed me and made me whole. The blood of Jesus that brought me life while I was dead. The blood of Jesus that caused a rebirth, a regeneration that I might declare today I am the redeemed of the Lord. The blood that gives me strength. The blood that brings healing and deliverance. The blood that brings life. I thank you now in the name of Jesus. Let us all drink together and become partakers now of both the body and the blood of our Lord. Father, thank you.
for this. We remember what you did. No one took your life, but you laid it down for us. That today we might be saved. I don't know who's listening today, who might be out there, but I want you to know that those of you that hear this message, you right now can change your eternal destination. If you don't know the Lord, here is an opportunity for you to change your very life. Recognize that you need Jesus that he is the only way. The word declares that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. Don't be frustrated about whatever it is you've done or you are doing because Jesus took care of every one of your sins over 2,000 years ago. He laid his life down so you don't have to. Don't die for nothing. We often say in life we want our death to have purpose or meaning. Saints, we have accepted that the death of Christ had purpose and meaning. But our own physical death meant nothing if we were separated from him. Those of you that don't know Christ, you can know him right now and be removed from your sin and made righteous in Christ Jesus. You don't have to do it because Jesus has done it for you. All you have to do is accept that which he has done. If you're on and you're listening and you're wanting to, to give your life over to Christ, just repeat after me. Lord, I've heard your call, and now I respond. I was a sinner in need of a Savior. I accept that you, Jesus, are that Savior. I believe that you died for me so that I can live. I accept you and your finished work as that which was necessary that right now I can declare I am not a sinner anymore, but I am the redeemed of the Lord. I have been made whole and I have been made right by the power of God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. If you followed these words and repeated them after me, then you are now a saint and no longer a sinner. You are now redeemed and no longer lost. Your debt has been paid in Christ. You are now free not bound or subject to the authority that is in the world, but you've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. 
You are now a citizen in the new kingdom. You have access to new benefits. You have access to God himself where his word declares, I can come boldly before the throne of grace and obtain help in this time of need. I don't know what you're standing in need of, but I know that right now, whatever your need is, it can be secured or taken care of in Christ. And now you have right standing to access the throne room of God. As a matter of fact, understanding who you are in Christ, you're never outside the throne room of God. Because this life you now live, you live by the power of God. You are in Jesus and Jesus is in you. So where Jesus is, you are. And the word of God tells me that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God on high. That means that you and I are seated at the right hand of God. So even when the enemy comes, he's not just talking to you. He's got to talk to God because God is seated right next to you. He can't do anything that you don't let him because the authority has now been placed in your hands. God bless you. Those that have given your lives to Christ, welcome to the family of God. I salute you, I love you, and I am praying for you. You are successful. You are victorious. You are who God says you are. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday.